I'd like you to turn with me now in your Bible to 1 Samuel and chapter 13. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 13 together and then continue to read the first two verses of chapter 14. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, please. Commencing to read at verse 1. And as is so necessary with the Old Testament narrative to get the context, to get the history, to get the situation that we're in, you need to concentrate on the reading. There is a story here, and God has recorded this story, so we need to think as we are reading and seek to grasp what the narrative is. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel... Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. 
for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose, and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shea. And another company turned the way to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. And there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Philistines went down, the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison, that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. Amen. I would like you to turn with me now, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And please keep your Bible open. We'll be looking at some references from chapter 13 in the, the build-up and the lead into this portion. I'd like to read to you from verse 2 of 1 Samuel 14. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious God, we come to thee in the Saviour's name, and we realize that when we turn to the Scriptures, we're turning to God's holy word. And we can't interpret this word properly without thy help. We acknowledge that. It's a precious book but contained therein are God's thoughts and God's commands and God's statutes and God's instructions. And Lord, we have to get it right when we read the Bible. We need to understand exactly what God is teaching. And we need thy Holy Spirit to help us to do just that. 
And we pray that God the Holy Spirit would settle us down just now to listen to the word of God. Speak to our hearts. We pray in the Saviour's great name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 13 of 1 Samuel gives us the background to our text, which is found in chapter 14. So I want to take a few minutes at the start of this message to look at verse or chapter 13 to see what is happening, what's taking place. And this will help us better to understand our text in chapter 14. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Jonathan takes military action against the Philistines, and whenever news gets back to the authorities, these Philistines are provoked, and a reaction comes from them. Look at verse 5 of chapter 13. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. It's quite an army they assemble in a very short space of time, isn't it? 30,000 chariots. Can you imagine that? 30,000 chariots. 6,000 mounted cavalry. 6,000 horses. And an innumerable number of infantry. Talk about using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. This is some force. This is like the United States pouring everything it has onto the Isle of Man to blast it into oblivion. That's the scale of this Philistine army. It's a massive army. The children of Israel get to hear about the Philistines and the size of the force that is coming against them. Well, the Israelites are terrified. They believe that they are now exposed to certain slaughter and annihilation. We read there in chapter 13, verses 6 and 7, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, and they were, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. The Israelites are scurrying around like scared rabbits. You can imagine it must have been awful for them as they grabbed their children and a few necessary possessions and a few necessary provisions, and then they cleared off to seek a hiding place somewhere, anywhere, 
to get away from the major areas of population, to hide from the Philistines in the hope that they would be preserved. Well, King Saul, he knows about the Philistines. The Philistines are coming. He decides to make a burnt offering unto the Lord, hoping that this would secure the help of the Lord in the battle. Now, he's not a Levite. He's not permitted to make this burnt offering. He knows that. He's impatient. He will not wait for the arrival of Samuel. And he decides to go ahead and do this thing, something that he was forbidden by the Lord to do. And then Samuel arrives at the camp, and he immediately reminds King Saul of God's law. Look at chapter 13, verse 11. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines were gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. I often think about that. Imagine if God had to say to any of us, Thou hast done foolishly. What a condemnation. What a great condemnation. But God said through Samuel to King Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. And then he goes on, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Oh dear. Saul thinks that he can do whatever he likes. Saul thinks that he can disobey God. Saul thinks that he can make excuses for his sin. Saul thinks that he can justify what he's doing. Well, I had to make an offering, and we needed the Lord's help in this battle, so I had to go on ahead without you, Samuel. The Lord will understand. No. You can't disobey the Bible and say, well, the Lord will understand. But that's the thinking of King Saul. What a glaring mistake. And he's going to pay for it. At this stage in Israel's history and development, they had inferior weaponry to their enemies. As a matter of fact, they didn't have any weapons because the Philistines controlled so much in the land at that time that even to get their tools, their agricultural tools sharpened, they had to go down to the Philistines to get it done. The Philistines were smart enough to know if you want to keep the Israelites in their place, don't let them gather up their own ammunitions. And they didn't. So the Israelites are in a bad way. This enemy is coming. Their king has disobeyed God and he's got himself into terrible trouble. They don't have weaponry with which to defend themselves, and they are outnumbered. Outgunned, outnumbered, a lame duck king. They don't have the blessing of God. Oh dear, what are they going to do? 
Well, Saul has a son, Jonathan. The prince is made of better stuff than his father, that's for sure. And Jonathan wasn't slow in taking the fight to the enemy. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Jonathan goes over with his armor bearer to launch something of a surprise attack, ambush upon the Philistines. This ambush did cause shock. You say, two men, yes, but God was with them. It caused consternation amongst the Philistines, and the result being that they were in confusion and fled. Wonderful. The Lord used Jonathan and the armor bearer. Just goes to show what God can do with two faithful men. Saul has failed, but God has someone else to take his place and to do the work and to do the job, his son Jonathan. But tonight, I want to look at the action, or probably it would be better to describe it as the inaction of King Saul at this time. The inaction of the king. Jonathan's father failed terribly on this occasion. And I trust that God will speak to all of our hearts as we think about the inaction of King Saul and what it meant for him and for the nation. Number one, I want to talk to you about the delay of Saul. The delay. Look at chapter 14, verse 2. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. You might say, was this really delaying? Was he not just assembling the troops, gathering the army, making ready for battle, as any king or commander-in-chief would have to do? Is it fair to say it was a delay? Yes, it was a delay. Especially when you consider the actions of his son in the previous verse when his son said, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Jonathan wasn't hanging about. Jonathan wasn't wasting time. Jonathan wasn't afraid. He was getting on with the work, getting on with the battle. There were no delays as far as Jonathan's concerned. The Philistines were encamped in the area. His attitude seems to be, let's go get him. Let's go. With the Lord's help, we'll go. Jonathan, you see, knew that this was his duty. And he carried it out. He was a valiant young prince. And this action led to a great victory over the Philistines, and it led to deliverance for the Israelites. But Saul can claim no credit for this victory. Saul camped at Gibeah. He never budged. He never got off his throne. He never moved. He just dwelt there. What was he doing when he was dwelling there while his son was out taking a risk? Oh, Saul might have argued he was waiting on the Lord, praying. He might even have argued he was praying that the Philistines would just go away. We don't know for sure. 
but there was a big delay on his part. And he did nothing. And as I thought about that, I thought about those who sit in gospel meetings like this, and they have no concern, and they just delay doing what they know they should do. They delay taking the proper course of action. Oh yes, they know that the enemy is there. The enemy is there to destroy them. Maybe you know that. The enemy of sin. The enemy of Satan. Maybe you know that Satan is encamped round about you. You know that there's sin within your heart. You've heard the word of God and you know what you must do. You know that that sin needs to be atoned for. It needs to be covered, cleansed, pardoned and forgiven. You know all of that. You know what you should do. It's obvious to you what you must do. You know the Bible. You know the gospel. You know God's way. But what are you doing about it? Are you like King Saul? Just sitting there doing nothing. Delaying, putting off what you should be doing. You're aware of the problem, but you won't do a thing about it. That's a dangerous place to be. It's like a spiritual anesthetic, isn't it? It just deadens you. You won't move. You won't budge. You won't change your way of going. You should call upon the Lord, but you won't do it. You should repent, but you won't do it. You should receive Christ, but you won't do it. Leave me alone. I want to just sit here. Is that you? You'd rather not hear this message. You want to be content in your sin. Let me put it off. I am happy to delay. I can deal with that matter some other time, but I'll not be dealing with it tonight. Are you just like Saul? Sitting there delaying. Well, you know, that's dangerous. That can get you into serious trouble. You can put it off once too long. There's a little verse, I'm sure you've heard it from preachers before. It says this, procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will. Tomorrow. Is that you? I'm not getting saved tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Don't delay. This is God's day of salvation for you. Maybe there's a Christian, though, and you're just like Saul as well. You say, hold on a minute, I don't think so. But maybe in this area, you're just like Saul. You're delaying doing what you know you should do. You're delaying doing what you know is right. What do I mean? Is there a Christian here, and you know in your heart of hearts that God wants you to Go to the Whitfield. Study to be a minister or a missionary, but you're just putting it off. Pretending that you don't hear that voice that's calling you. Just putting it off and putting it off in the hope that the voice will go away. That God will stop speaking. Maybe you're not blatantly saying no to the Lord but you're just holding back. Please don't be so foolish. Don't delay doing what is right. 
Don't delay when it comes to doing the will of God. It's very important that you do the will of God. Of course, the devil will seek to keep you back, won't he? He always does that. He'll seek to prevent you from serving God. I think of Moses. Remember whenever God called Moses to lead the children of Israel? To lead them out of Egypt? Through the Red Sea and across the wilderness? Towards the promised land? God called him. But he made excuses to delay this whole process. What did Moses say? Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses says, Lord, who am I? I'm not worthy, so can we just forget about it? God says, I'll be with you. Forget about whether you think you are worthy enough or not. That's not the issue. The issue is, I have called you and I'm going to be with you. That's it. Just do it. It says in chapter 4 of Exodus, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. He says, Lord, even if you are with me and I do go and tell the people I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, they'll not listen to me. We are very good at making excuses. We are very good at delaying, answering God in the affirmative. And that's exactly what Moses is doing here. And then it says later on, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Lord, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech, a slow tongue. Lord, I can't really speak that well. And you're calling me to be a leader of people, to be a leader of a nation, to be a first-rate politician, preacher, servant of God. I can hardly string three words together, Lord. Me? You can't be calling me to do this. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. God says, I made you. I made you the way you are. I have given you the gifts that are necessary to do this work. Don't question me. And when God calls you, you don't question him. You don't make excuses. You accept that call for what it is. God's going to be with you and he's going to equip you. So that's it. You go and you serve. Don't delay doing what's right. Don't make excuses. God will be with you. Saul delayed. The delay of Saul. The second thing is this, the dread of Saul. 
For in verse 2 we read there, and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah. You see, Saul was not prepared to leave the security of the camp. He was not prepared to go to the place of battle. I suppose it would be justifiable for me to call him a coward. He wasn't prepared to go to the battle. He dreaded the host of the Philistines. He was probably thinking about those 30,000 chariots and thinking if the Israelites have to stand before that without any weaponry to defend themselves, those chariots will just split us up and go straight through us. And then, what about those cavalrymen and those 6,000 animals? They'll trample us to death. And any that aren't finished off with that, the infantry will then come and they'll just take the swords and finish us. We haven't a chance. This is impossible. There's no way that we can stand against this. Saul is afraid. He might have looked like a brave king. Tall, good looking. One of the few people in Israel at that time who actually had some armor. He looked the part but he wasn't the real deal at all. He was afraid. Is there somebody here tonight afraid to do what's right? To get saved? Thinking, oh, if I get saved and I would love to be saved, but people will oppose me. It might even be in your own family. It might be. It might not be. Maybe you're thinking of a mother or father or an aunt or an uncle or a granny or a grand or someone in the family who's very hard against the gospel. They'll give you a hard time. Maybe you're afraid because there's someone you work with and you know what they're like. Every time Christianity is mentioned in the workplace, they go off on one because they are death against it. Oh, if I was a Christian, they would lighten me. Are you afraid? The fear of man brings a snare. And if you're afraid, the old devil has you ensnared. He's got a grip on you. You need to break that. By God's grace, you need to break that. Don't be afraid. Don't be. Nothing to be afraid of. When you're in Christ, you'll have a wonderful Savior with you every step of the way. Is there a child of God? Maybe you're just like Saul. You're afraid to follow the Lord and follow God's way and do what God calls you to do. Is the dread of reproach and the dread of an attack from the evil one and from enemies too much? Well, it's not an easy road we're traveling to glory. I'll admit that. It's a great road. It's the best road. It's not always easy. It can be hard at times. But there's something you must never forget. When you're saved and God calls you and God has a work for you to do, you have to remember this. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the comfort that we have even when we dread some of the challenges. Sure, the Lord's with us. He's with you, child of God. Remember Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear not, sure the Lord's going to help you. Whatever he calls you to do, he'll help you. Don't be afraid. Why should we dread and fear 
when the Lord is with us every step of the way. And I know when I was called to into Bible college, I had my fears. And I made my excuses. But I'm thankful today that God overcame those. And he put them all to one side. And I was able by his grace to go on. You can do the same. The delay of soul, the dread of soul, the delight of soul. I want you to note that. It says in verse 2, chapter 14 there, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. The delight of soul. You see, this man seems to prefer the comfort and the ease of sitting in his tent in the shade rather going out to ba- than going out to battle. I'm sure a number of you have been to the Middle East on holiday, and maybe Israel in particular. You know what it's like. Whenever they have a heat wave, it's quite something. We only think we get heat waves here. When they get a heat wave, they get a heat wave. And you'll know the importance of the shade. If you cannot get a tree to sit under, then you'll carry your umbrella everywhere you go. And on your tour of the Holy Land, Whenever you go out into that sunshine, into that heat, you will listen to the tour guide and you will just be wishing that he or she would give over, that you would get back into the air-conditioned bus. Isn't that right? It's overwhelming. You just want to be in the shade, out of the sun, out of the heat, relaxed and comfortable. Here's Saul. Under a pomegranate tree. There's a battle to be fought, but he's not going to do it. Not this time. You know, we read in 2 Timothy these words traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I think on this occasion, Saul was a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. He had the pomegranate tree. He had his tent. He was happy. Is there someone here and you prefer the sinful pleasures of this world to the saving, cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb? I want to warn you, these pleasures pass away very, very quickly. They only last for a season. Time is short, eternity is long. Heaven is a delight and hell is dreadful. And the sins that bind you now, those sins, you will hate them for all of God's eternity if you die without Christ. Don't let sinful pleasure bind you and keep you from following Christ. Don't let it happen. And child of God, you never forget this, Psalm 37 and 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Oh, God looks after his people, but we must delight ourselves in the Lord. A backslider no longer delights him or herself in the Lord. Isn't that right? If you're backslidden, you've lost that delight and pleasure in Christ, and you're seeking to delight yourself again in other things. Well, the Bible says that's a glaring mistake. Delight yourself in the Lord. Not in anything to do with this world. It's all going to pass away. All of it. Don't delight yourself in it. I remember 
whenever we were building the new church in Cumber a long time ago. And I used to go over every day for the manse was just beside the church and have a yarn with the builder and with the workmen. I knew some of them. One of them in particular was from just outside Rutherford Island and I had known him all my life. And he was a most ungodly man. Would have mocked the things of God, was a real mocker. I used to think that even by being there it had some sort of a sanctifying effect because he would not just have used the same sort of language when I was about that he would have used quite happily and freely when I wasn't there. I used to go over and chat to them. There was a conversation at the 10 o'clock tea and I was chatting to the men and mention was made of a multi-millionaire from Morn who had passed away. And someone said, how much did he leave anyway? And one man said, he left it all. And this character that I had known for a long, long time he spoke up and said, this phrase, it's the first time I'd heard it. I'm told it's used quite commonly, but I, commonly, but I hadn't heard it until that point. First time I heard it. He says, I sure, you should know you're a clergyman. There are no two bars on a hearse. And they all sat and chuckled at that one. But while he was joking and all the rest of it, isn't there something so true about what he said? No two bar on a hearse. It's funny, ever since that, every time I go to a funeral, I always take a look at the back of the hearse just to see, and, you know, he's right, I've never seen one, never. And I always check it out anyway. Because you can't take anything of this world with you when you go. Not one thing. Not one square inch of land, and not one penny. So don't take pleasure in the things of the world. They're only temporary. You need to get ready for eternity. Eternity. The delay of soul, the dread of soul, the delight of soul. And I'll just finish with this, a comment just. The dragging down of soul. And what I mean by that? Well, if you look at verse 2. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. When I say the dragging down of soul, I'm saying this to you. His failure influenced others to feel as well. He wasn't the only one there at that camp. There were 600 others with him who could have been at the battle, but they weren't there because they were following the king, the king who wasn't following God. They were outside of God's will as well. They were missing out on an opportunity to do something good. Their king was leading them in the wrong direction. Well, not really leading them at all, I suppose. And there they were sitting around, twiddling their thumbs. While Jonathan was out, taking a risk for God. It wasn't really a risk, but it was quite a challenge what he undertook. Dear unsaved man or woman, you could be dragging someone else down with you. Do you know that? Maybe there's someone in your family and they'd love to be saved and they're watching you. Well, if so-and-so was saved, I could save too. You might say, but look, I'm not responsible for them. True, I accept that. 
but you're having an influence and they're watching you. And this does happen frequently in families. Someone else is challenged. I'd love to be, but so-and-so is the stronger one in our house. And if she would get saved or he would get saved, I, I'd get saved too. You could be holding somebody else back as well as risking losing your own soul. And child of God, I say to you in conclusion as well, maybe your lack of service is causing someone to feel that he or she doesn't have to serve either. Someone could be watching you. I often say in the youth, work in youth fellowship especially, when you've got older teenagers and they're committed to Christ and they're leading and giving a good example and they're prayerful and they're willing to go out and stand in the open air, that's what we call a good role model, isn't it? And in youth fellowship, you often find when you've got ones who are a little bit older and they're doing that. Then the 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are very impressionable and maybe under a lot of pressure in school to go in the wrong direction, they've got the role model. And you look at that 17-year-old or that 18-year-old in the fellowship. Aye. They're good. I like them. They're cool. And, but they love the Lord. And I can, I can see that they're serving God. And it can lead the younger ones on. You see, if we're living right, we can be a living encouragement to others to also live right. But if we're not, we can be a discouragement to others. They're looking and saying, well, if so-and-so doesn't want to do it, I'll not do it either. We all have a great responsibility. Don't be like Saul. Don't be sitting back doing nothing when there's something you can do. And I close with this. Maybe some of the senior citizens saying, oh, Mr. Murray, sure, that's for the young people. It's not for me. Maybe there's a wee work you can do. We call it a wee work in Northern Ireland, but it's a great work. Maybe it's just visiting some friend, going round to encourage them, sacrificing a little bit of your time to help somebody else out. There's always a work for the Lord Jesus Christ for everyone. Make sure we're not like Saul, sitting back doing nothing. Get out there and do it. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless thy precious word to all of our hearts. Use the word of God to inspire us to be what God wants us to be every moment of every day. May the grace, mercy, and peace of Almighty God be our abiding portion now and forevermore. Amen. Amen, Lord.